Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the BitCast. With another Smash Brothers game on the way, a lot of people have been wondering whether or not it'll be a brand new game or just a port of the Wii U game or some kind of weird compromise between the versions. I talked about that in my episode dedicated to the new game, which you can easily go back and listen to. People have also wondered whether or not this game would feature an adventure mode, much like Melee and Brawl had. In the Super Smash Bros. games, you have the different campaigns that are the primary goals of the single player. The three big ones are the Classic Mode, Adventure Mode, and All-Star Mode. Classic Mode was referred to as the one-player mode in the original, and it was you know just kind of a simple romp where you just fight a few rounds of opponents before reaching the end boss, Master Hand. He was this floating hand, as you could tell from the name. In All-Star Mode, which was introduced in Smash Bros. Melee, you fight every other character in the whole game in chunks until you've beaten them all. The third mode of the three, which is actually the second one introduced overall, is Adventure Mode. Unlike Classic and All-Star, though, the Adventure Mode wasn't present in the fourth Smash Brothers game. It was only in Melee and Brawl, and even then, it hasn't been the same on either of the instances it's appeared. It's changed the most. In Melee, Adventure is much like Classic Mode, but you have the occasional side-scroller stage to break up the action. You still do a lot of fighting, but you also have to explore a bit more, just get from one end of the level to the next. And at the end, you fight Bowser. And if you fulfill certain conditions, you fight Giga Bowser instead, who's basically just a bigger, scarier-looking version of the guy. For those of you who never saw him before in Melee, that's where Giga Bowser came from before he was Bowser's final smash in the later games. There wasn't a whole lot to Adventure Mode, but it was a fresh take compared to Classic Mode, and it was a lot less daunting than All-Star Mode, and even then it got a complete overhaul when Super Smash Bros. Brawl came out. Brawl's Adventure Mode, titled The Subspace Emissary, is the core of Smash Bros. Brawl's single-player mode. Classic Mode and All-Star are still there, and so are the side things like the event matches, the stadium modes, break the targets, multi-man smash, all that stuff. Subspace Emissary was kind of the pillar of Brawl, though. It involved nearly every character, beating it gave you the game's true credits, it was the quickest way to unlock all the characters, it was the basis for the game's opening movie, the basis for the boss battle mode, it was basically the big draw of Brawl's single player mode, the core around which everything else was kind of built. It was an honest attempt at telling a full-on cinematic game story with nearly the entire Brawl roster. There wasn't any kind of adventure mode in the fourth game, and people felt its absence deeply. There was no core to build the rest of the single-player mode around like there was with Subspace Emissary and Brawl, especially with the complete glut of playable fighters. Classic mode got a little more bloated, All-Star mode definitely did. With all this in mind, a lot of people are kind of hoping for Adventure Mode to come back in the new Smash Brothers, whether or not it's more like Melee's Adventure Mode or Subspace Emissary, just as long as it's there in some capacity. Because of that, and other reasons, I felt like taking the time in today's bit to look back at the Subspace Emissary. 
It'll kind of discuss that mode in detail, so if you've been waiting 10 years to play this mode in a Smash Brothers game and didn't want to learn anything about it, you might want to turn away now. Subspace Emissary was more or less the story mode. It was an original setting, and it had all the characters live together, and they all enjoyed combat. When a character is defeated, they turn into a trophy of themselves, but they can be revived by simply touching the base of their trophy. Everything is peaches and gravy until the Halberd, which is Meta Knight's airship from Kirby Superstar, comes in and drops a bunch of monsters. And after that, this guy called the Ancient Minister shows up and drops a subspace bomb. It eventually explodes and creates this big bubble of subspace that captures the entire area and sending it into another realm. The Ancient Minister is in the business of doing this all over the world with even more subspace bombs. Meanwhile, Ganondorf, Bowser, and Wario are bent on capturing all the fighters they can find, ostensibly to keep them out of the way. All the other characters are either fighting the good fight or they're just doing their own thing, but eventually they all end up forming small groups of their own and taking on the subspace army until they finally have three distinct groups which all collide into one greater group and all the characters go on to meet the final boss, Taboo, which is spelled with two U's instead of O's. And he was this weird, glowing, blue, Dr. Manhattan-looking guy with rainbow butterfly wings. He looked really weird. And he has the ability to instantly turn anyone into a trophy. Taboo is the ruler of subspace, and he wanted to bring the entire world into his realm. So, obviously, he had to be stopped by the combined forces of the entire Smash Brothers Brawl roster. Like most things in Brawl, though, the subspace emissary was very polarizing. Some people thought it was one of the best things in Brawl, if not the entire series, and other people think it was just a big waste of time and effort. I personally enjoyed the Subspace Emissary. I liked the ambitious crossover of all the characters. I liked seeing all the team-ups between the cast before they all joined together. There was a lot of cool action in the cutscenes, a lot of music choices that I felt were really good, and you can power through the whole thing in a single day, when my brother and I first got the game, we pretty much spent the entire afternoon on this mode before we finally got to the final stage. But for as much as I enjoyed it, I can see the issues people have with this mode. They definitely could have done some parts of it differently, and that would have made for a much better experience. I'm going to address these issues, and not really try to excuse them, but that's probably what might end up happening. The thing is, I'm just trying to offer my own perspective on it, because I think some of the hate for Subspace Emissary is overblown, at least a bit. The first thing that people usually levy against the Subspace Emissary is the fact that it has a neutral environment for the most part, and there are completely original monsters, with the exception of some of Bowser's minions. The Subspace Emissary does take place in an original setting that only occasionally resembles the different Nintendo worlds. For instance, Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong are introduced in a jungle stage, but it's not really jungle japes or jungle hijinks from their series. Samus first appears in a sci-fi laboratory, but it's not really any location from the Metroid series. Even the two stages that are explicitly referred to by their original names, there's really not much distinction from the other subspace levels. 
In addition, Brawl had this tendency to try to make everything look as realistic as possible, and as a result, it muted a lot of the color palettes, even in the characters. Compare the character designs in Brawl to the ones in Smash 4, and you'll notice that they got a lot more colorful in the new game. And, of course, this all goes for the subspace emissary as well. They're not over-the-top realistic, but it doesn't really feel like we're in a Nintendo world. And in a game series that's all about the different Nintendo properties, that's kind of strange that they're not embracing the mood of Nintendo. Another thing is that most of the enemies you fight are completely original, like I said, but I I like most of the enemies. A lot of them are kind of annoying to fight, but I like the designs and concepts behind them, so that part doesn't really bother me. I won't defend the fervent attempts at realism in the presentation. I think I can see what they were going for with a neutral setting, though. Since it's a story that featured the whole cast, they kind of wanted an even playing ground. You know, that way no character or series really shine much better than the rest, because it's not like you're going to have a lot of locations to choose from for the ice climbers. And to make up for it, a lot of the stages do have those superficial environmental similarities to a character's series of origin. That's just my speculation. I don't actually know why they went with the neutral setting. And honestly, if they didn't want to avoid any series getting more prominence than the rest, they still fell short of that mark. This is one of the other gripes that people usually have with the mode. It's a lot of the story stuff. You see, Masahiro Sakurai, the big name behind this series, was also the creator of the Kirby games before he eventually stopped working on them. In the original game and Smash Brothers Melee, he would want to add King DDD as a character, but the king was always one of the first on the chopping block whenever they had to, you know, downsize the roster and not add anymore. And this was because Sakurai didn't want to look like he was favoring his own series, which was respectable, if a bit naive. I don't think anyone really would have minded an earlier appearance of King DDD, but Judging from the evidence, I guess Sakurai got over it. Not only were King DDD and Meta Knight added to Brawl, but the two of them, and Kirby, all played pivotal roles in Subspace Emissary's storyline. More than the rest of the characters did, you could say. Meta Knight's ship, the Halberd, is jacked away from him, and one of the big focal points of the story is taking it down. King DDD does his usual thing of pretending to be a bad guy before being a good guy all along, and helping contribute to the heroes getting their second chance at fighting Taboo. Meanwhile, Kirby is not only the main character of the first stage in the game, he plays a prominent role all throughout the story, he's there alongside Mario's team, he's the one piloting the Dragoon in the fan-favorite cutscene, where all the good guys and bad guys fight at the entrance of subspace, and he gets an entire stage to himself right before the final one, where he rescues half of the cast, while DDD is saving the other half with help from Luigi and Ness. I think people blow that out of proportion Although it's hard to say that in the face of Smash Bros. 4, where Sakurai starts putting in as much Kid Icarus Uprising content as he can squeeze in, that being his most recent non-Smash Bros. game. But all the same, it's not as if the Kirby characters did everything of consequence. Fox and Falco spend a lot of the story fighting off the hijacked Halberd before they ally with Diddy Kong. Meanwhile, Diddy himself rescued a kidnapped Donkey Kong who himself got everyone united in the bomb factory and rescued Rob the Robot from exploding with all his friends. Ike made his first appearance in the story by being the only character to successfully destroy a subspace bomb before it went off. And then there's Lucas, 
who not only helped defeat Wario, who'd been causing trouble for the first half of the story, but also saved his and the Pokemon trainer's lives while also going through some character development. And we can't forget about Sonic literally coming in at the last second before the final battle and saving everyone before they got beaten by Taboo again. Now, a lot of these don't quite measure up to what Kirby and DDD did, but they shouldn't be overlooked. The actions of the characters in the story mode do have consequences. Samus rescues Pikachu when they first meet, and later that allows Pikachu to save Samus when she's being brutalized by Ridley in a later level. The last big thing that people tend to dislike about Subspace Emissary is the Great Maze, the final level of the game. While every other stage is a fairly straightforward affair, Great Maze is dramatically different. It takes a Metroidvania approach. I don't think I have to explain the term, but for people who don't know, it's basically how the Metroid games and later Castlevania games did it, where they took place in big yet interconnected settings, and you would have to remember certain areas for later, after meeting certain requirements in other parts of the map. The Great Maze is this big level that fits that description more or less, consisting of segments from all the other environments in the story. You have to explore, and you have to defeat copies of every playable character you've met, as well as all the bosses, before you finally unlock access to the final battle with Taboo. The stage is so big, so dense, they give you save points at different parts of the level. It's a big change of pace from how the rest of the story mode has been so far, and it's really time-consuming. Not only that, but the ending isn't much to write about. I mentioned earlier how Sonic shows up right before the final battle starts. I wasn't exaggerating. That's how it plays out. You complete the grueling great maze. You get to Taboo. He prepares to one-shot the heroes again. Sonic comes in, shatters his wings with a speedy attack, and the final battle begins. You win. Subspace is destroyed. The world is mostly restored. That's it. That's the ending. That is the whole payoff for this entire mode. You get that big long level, and you get a 10 second ending, basically. So the whole mode can end on a pretty sour note for some people. I like the concept of the Great Maze, though. It's a cool way to revisit past stages and gimmicks from throughout the story mode, while giving you one last chance to play as every different character, including Ganondorf and Wario, who joined the party at the last minute before entering the maze. And they do what they can to make the maze less daunting. Once you do an entire lap around the maze, the map will show you where you need to go, so it's easier at that point. The maze corner save points also allow you to warp between each other, and you can always keep your progress. If you leave or complete the maze and come back, everything will still be done, so you can pick up where you left off, or you can go back and fight Taboo over and over again without having to wait. So overall, I can see the problems people had with Subspace Emissary. In fact, I have a few of my own, namely the overuse of Brawl's main melody in all the remixes, or the fight against the giant clone of Diddy Kong, or the fact that Mario, Link, Yoshi, and Pit contribute almost nothing to the story. But despite that, and all the other problems, I enjoyed Subspace Emissary. It was Finally, the big crossover between Nintendo characters that we've been waiting for since the original Smash Brothers game. The character team-ups were very memorable, they made very good use of foreshadowing, there were the fun action scenes, especially when Ridley got involved, the characters entered and exited the ongoing plotline at a good rate, with the only real exception being Fox and Diddy being missing in action for a while and Sonic showing up at the last second. 
Subspace Emissary wasn't perfect, but an admirable attempt on Sakurai and the team's part, and I'm still upset that we didn't get a successor of some kind in Smash Bros. 4. Sakurai has gone on record saying that he didn't appreciate people looking up all the cutscenes online, and that was his reason for not including such a mode in the fourth installment. I'm not entirely convinced that's the only reason, especially since that argument could be made for any video game with a cutscene ever, but who knows. Sakurai likes to stick to his guns, but he's also been known to change his mind, like how he put in an Animal Crossing character in the fourth game after he said that it wouldn't work back during the Brawl days. Maybe there will be an adventure mode in the new game. I hope there'll be one, at least. And I liked Subspace Emissary, so I do hope that they add another adventure mode like that. I'm not thrilled at how the fourth game handled classic and all-star modes, and the other modes didn't do it for me much either. The single-player mode really needed that shake-up that Adventure Mode provided. Even if it's more like Melee's Adventure Mode, or if it's just a recreation of the Great Maze and nothing else, I would say that that's better than having no Adventure Mode at all. I imagine we'll find out more during E3. Until then, a little retrospection and speculation never hurt anybody. Before we go, I'd like to talk about today's favorite songs. Now, Subspace Emissary draws from the entire soundtrack of Super Smash Bros. Brawl, using a lot of remixes from different Nintendo games, sometimes even porting a song directly, and it also uses completely original songs to the mode that are all just remixes of the main Brawl theme. Anyway, it's still a soundtrack that I've enjoyed for the past decade now. I'll never forget it. And the three songs that I'm going to name as today's favorites are Sticker Brush Symphony, Climb Up and Get the Last Chance, and Versus Ridley. Sticker Brush Symphony is a remix of the Bramble Blast music from Donkey Kong Country 2. In Adventure Mode, it plays in the lake and swamp stages, both stages also featuring Diddy Kong and Fox together, so it always reminds me of the two of them. The stages are also very watery, so it's a fun song that kind of captures the feeling of exploring by the water out in the green wilderness. Climb Up and Get the Last Chance is a ported song from F-Zero X. It played in the White Land courses, and here it's used in the second stage of the Subspace Bomb Factory, one of the last few normal stages in the game. It's kind of slow but intense, which is fitting since you're finally going through the main fortress of the Subspace Army, and it's one of the longest stages in the Subspace Emissary, outside of the Great Maze, of course. Lastly, Versus Ridley is simply a remix of Ridley's boss theme from Super Metroid, albeit a very good one, very intense. That theme started out as just a general boss theme in Super Metroid, but then Ridley kind of adopted it as his own unique battle theme for the rest of the series. In Subspace Emissary, it plays in the boss battles against Ridley and Meta Ridley, which are also two of my favorite boss fights in the mode. That's all for today's bit. As usual, if you like the show... Subscribe, spread the word. You can also find the BitCast on iTunes. And in the meantime, I will see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcastone.com and on the Podcast One app.